Welcome to the Calibre podcast as presented by Watchers of Switzerland. I'm Faisa Terry and this episode, CEO of the Watchers of Switzerland group, Brian Duffy, speaks to a gentleman who is hugely influential across the luxury retail market and most recently the chairman of the watch division at LVMH, Mr. Jean-Claude Beaver. So hello everyone, thank you for uh, joining me in this latest uh, Watches of uh, Switzerland uh, podcast. This is a very, very special podcast because I'm uh, joined today with someone that I think most people in the watch industry would say had been the biggest influence and inspiration in the the world of uh, Swiss watches over this past uh, four decades uh, or or more, and that's Mr. Jean-Claude Biver. So Jean-Claude, thank you very, very much for joining me. Thank you, thank you for having me, uh, Brian. But we're going to get through Jean Claude's uh, amazing career and uh, and and what he's done in the in the world of watches. And I often when I, when I think of Jean Claude, I think of the most Swiss guy ever. He he loves his cheese. He loves the mountains. He loves Swiss watches. But in fact, you're not originally Swiss. No, I'm born in Luxembourg. And uh, when I was ten years old, <clears throat> we commuted to Switzerland. Yes. And since then, I never left Switzerland, and I became Swiss a few years ago. I think it was in 2000 something. Yep. Um, and I feel, <laughs> I feel like a patriot. Yes. And sometimes foreigners who uh, take the nationality, they are more patriotic <laughs> than people who have been born there for a few hundred yep. years. It's like when you travel, you you when you come back, you really appreciate your country. Yes. While if you never travel, you get you criticizes you you know. So to go away sometimes helps you to realize how good your country is. Yep. And sometimes to be a foreigner, you also realize how good the country where you, that, uh, who is hosting you, how good the country is. Yes, and, and you clearly have embraced everything Swiss and you clearly love the country. I mean, I think the critical test is if, if Switzerland are playing Luxembourg at football. <laughs> yes, which... and Luxembourg won, <laughs> even one time. <laughs> so, so you, you you graduate from a university in Lausanne in business, and then you move into the world of watches. So, and it was a tough time in watches. Eh? It was back at the time of the uh, of the crisis and so on. So, what attracted you into watches? <clears throat> I was I was trying not to work, and there's only one way not to work. No, two ways. You have rich parents, <laughs> which was not my case. <laughs> or number two, you have a passion. Yes. And I uh, said, if my daily job can be my passion, I will have the impression that I don't work. But what is my passion? I had no passion. I was a student. I was a hippie. We lived in a commune. And uh, we, beside love, we had no other passion. <laughs> <laughs> love is already nice. Yeah. It's a great well, passion. But all, all you need is love. Right? Exactly. <laughs> but love doesn't bring money. <laughs> it brings emotions, yeah. it brings beauty, whatever. And who needs money if you have love? Okay. <laughs> so um, uh, I had a, a friend and he told me, but as a kid, you loved steam machines, you were telling us. I said, right. yeah, yeah. Because we were all looking more or less for passion. I was not yep. the only one of the commune. And um, he said, but you know, steam machine, if that was your toy as a boy, little boy, now that you're an adult, the boy has changed into an adult. And the toy might have changed also. Yep. And I think a watch is like a steam machine. I said, are you crazy? Because I had the imagination that the watch has a dial like Big Ben, you know, yep. and when you look at Big Ben you don't see a steam machine. So um, uh, he said, no, 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 but there are watches where you can take the, the dial away and you will see the mechanism, you will see the movement, and the movement, believe me, looks really like a, a, yep. a machine, uh, like an engine. And uh, the name of this guy is Jacques Piguet. And Jacques Piguet was a movement, uh, his father was a movement producer under the name Frédéric Piguet, one of the most famous movement producers. And Jacques showed me a watch with no dial and totally transparent. It was uh, the Piguet movement FP70, and they were testing the movement. So to test the movement, why should you put a dial? It's much yep. easier when you can see the mechanism. And uh, I saw it, and I said, wow, yeah, it looks like a machine. Yep. And from that day on, I said, if my passion as a boy was the steam machine, 
my passion as an adult will be the watch. Okay. And I provocated this passion. It was not originally uh, like uh, like that. Yep. I was not born with the passion of watches. And it worked. And Jacques Piguet found me a job on the 70th anniversary of his father. He invited me on purpose. And you see, when you are 22 years old, to go to the 70th anniversary of uh, the father of a friend is not the funniest thing to do on a Sunday, <laughs> on a Sunday lunch. Yep. So I went there in per- uh, for a purpose to find, to say hello to some bosses of the watch business because all the big bosses were at this anniversary uh, yeah, lunch. Of and I met Georges Gaulet. Georges Gaulet was the chief executive of Audemars Piguet. Audemars, yeah. And he said to me, Listen, uh, young man, if you are interested, uh, on Monday, 3 o'clock, come to my office. And I went to his office, 3 o'clock, Sunday. And you know what he told me? He said, listen, I can give you half salary. I can give you no office. I can give you no secretary. I can give you no name card. I can give you no telephone number. He was selling this house. And I can (laughs) give you uh, no traveling. I said, well, what will I do? <laughs> I'm, I, I, I have a business degree. Yep. And he said, but you don't have a degree in watchmaking art. Yep. So first, you must learn the art. And that is why I give you only half salary, because the other half is for me. Because you will cost us money for one year, having a young man like you with no, uh, uh, no job, just learning, that costs money. That is why I pay you half price. And after one year, you will be able to understand what watchmaking art uh, means. You will understand the history. You will understand the mentality of the watchmakers. You yeah. will understand the brand. And once you have that, then you're going to travel. So first, are you, uh, do you agree for one year half salary? <laughs> I was so impressed by the man. I said in my head, I should maybe ask my wife. <laughs> but I made the decision immediately. I said, yeah. yes, Mr. Gole. And, that, and that's it. And that's how everything started. Yeah, well, we all owe him a, a great debt to, to take the, the hippie from the commune and uh, introduce him into uh, the world of watches. So that was you joining Audemars Piguet. Yes. And uh, uh, the first year of just learning everything that uh, that happened. I actually didn't know you'd started at Audemars. I thought it had, uh, all started with uh, with Blancpain. And the name Jack Piguet was to come back again. Eh? But, yes. Uh, uh, so some years at Audemars and eventually you figure out it's, it's you're not going to move quickly enough. Yes, uh, I started in 74, and in 79, I had some ambitions, and I said in 79, I I was 30 years old, and uh, when you are 30, you say, wow, I'm close now, in 10 years I will be 40, it's time to make a career. And I said to Mr. Gole, Mr. Gole, what is my future? And he said, your future is, is quite interesting. I like you. I like, you are performing quite well, and you have a future uh, in this uh, brand. But uh, it will take another 14 years. I said, 14 years? He said, yes, in 14 years I will be 65 and I will retire and uh, we will need a new organization of young people and you are one of, uh, one of those. I said, in 14 years, I will be 44 years old when you are 30. Bad this is eternity. <laughs> and I said, uh, no way. I will not wait 14 years to be uh, with no uh, uh, progression, you yep. know. Uh, and I decided that time would have come to leave. So after five years, I left and I joined Omega. Yep. And that was a totally different brand. Sure. Totally different atmosphere. And plus, it was end of 79 when I left. It was November. And in 1980, you had the biggest Swiss watch uh, crisis uh, that we ever had yep. because of the Quartz Revolution. Yep. So I entered absolutely at the right moment to Omega because it was the worst moment. And when everything is in crisis, that's the best way to learn. Yep. And I learned a lot from the crisis. I learned also the, uh, how to handle such a big brand like Omega compared to AP. In those days, AP was a very small brand. Of course. Um, so that that was my start. And um, in 1981, um, I suggested to Jacques Piguet, you see, we come back to the yep. first guy who introduced me to the watch business. I came back to Jacques and I said, listen, Jacques, because of the crisis, the, the big group called SSIH uh, is selling everything that is mechanical. 
they sell the tools, they sell the machines, uh, they destroy the movements because they believe that the future is quartz, that's it. Yep. And they are even going to sell a brand that doesn't exist since 59, but it started to exist in 1735. This brand is called Blancpain, and Jacques, they are going to sell it. Do you want to buy it with me? Because I will need your help for the movements. You will supply movements, and I will supply marketing. Yep. And um, and Jacques said, wow, yeah, why we try to buy it. And I said, Jacques, you have to go, because if they see me, they will think uh, that, uh, that I have a good idea behind yeah. <laughs> and, and I, we're going to pay it uh, a little bit more. You can go. And Jacques went and Jacques bought the brand. The brand, there was nothing else than the name. He bought the name for 22,000 Swiss francs. That was end of 1981. And in 1982, we started and we were owners of the oldest watch name yep. in the world. And oh, but we had no factory, we had no no offices, we had no collections, we had no employees because everything had been closed in '59, and so we started from scratch. And we said, but it's a great way to start from zero. Uh, we are the oldest watch brand, and that's what we have. And we will have a second element. We have. We had no chance to make quartz watches because the company was closed <laughs> in '59, <laughs> and quartz was just new in '79. Yep. So we had no chance to make it, and we took the contrarian uh, 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 concept to say, since 1735, there has never been a Blampa in quartz, and there will never be one. Yep. That was our advertising campaign. That was our approach, a very strong contrarian, disruptive approach. And it worked because we had we had a niche market and people said, yes, quartz will become one day obsolete or one day you will not find the batteries anymore, blah, 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 while a mechanical watch is linked to eternity. Yep. Quartz is linked to technology, becomes obsolete. Mechanical is linked to heritage and is eternal. Yep. And that was the start with uh, with Blancpain. Yep, and, and amazing to think like a brand like Blancpain, 1735, such a wonderful history. Uh, the 50th father yes, was Jacques yes. Cousteau, the complications yes. and everything that this brand was lying there dormant. And was and, uh, was for free. 22,000 yeah, 22, was such a brand. Yeah, it would cost you, that's the opening price point for a for blown part of one watch thing. <laughs> yes. and, uh, and you bought the company for it. So you went out, you defined it as really yeah, using tradition, everything, or the wonderful uh, traditions of uh, of mechanical watches in Swiss uh, and started. But you you had less than 100 watches at first, I was reading. Oh, yes. we The first year we achieved, we didn't achieve 100. We, we, we ended by 97. And uh, uh if we would have had three watches in stock, I would have bought them in order to make 100. <laughs> but it was not a problem of stock, it was a problem of production. Yep. We couldn't produce 90, uh, more than 97. Yep. And uh, we had an objective of 100, and we did the 97, and they were all in steel because we had no money yeah, for to gold. buy gold. Yeah. Because when you, buy a, when you produce a gold watch, you must first buy gold. And for us, gold was too expensive. So all the Blancpains from the beginning, the first two years, were in steel. Yep. Until an Englishman came, uh, my friend uh, Marcus, Marcus, he came, yep. and he said, I want gold. Okay, in those days, I didn't know him. I want gold watches. And I said, sorry, we don't make gold. Well, we need gold, blah, in London, blah, blah, blah. We have a, we have another market. Yep. We need gold and diamonds. I said, no, no way. I don't have the money. But he insisted, and we find a solution. He would pay us the gold in advance. Yep. <laughs> he would deliver gold, and we would produce watches for him with the gold he was delivering us. I mean, it's a fantastic adventure, yep. and that's how the whole thing started. And he, and he bought 50 watches from you. And, Absolutely. He yep. bought 50 watches in gold, which was a fortune. It was yep. our annual turnover, more or less. Yeah, but you know, for our listeners, Marcus was somebody back then, and I'm sure now, very, very well connected with the rich and famous of the world. So a tremendous, somebody that I'm, I've no doubt saw in you, you know, um, a, a real capability and something special. So you go on, and I, I'll, I read something else that I thought was very amusing and typical of you, that you would tell the team that you were in touch with the ghost of Blompa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, be the, I believe 
in the soul. I yeah. believe in telepathy. I believe a little bit in that. And I, I, I said to myself, I have to connect to the ghost of Blancpain. I have to go back to the history. I have to meet him. So uh, I had this uh, vision that I would knock at his uh, grave mm-hmm. and in the cemetery and he would wake up and say, what do you want, young man? <laughs> I said, listen, I just bought a brand that has your name. I want to know who you are. Yep. And I I want to be faithful to, your, to you. Yep. And so you must first explain me, Mr. Blancpain, your history, who you are. And then I will uh, uh, honor this and I will then produce watches that are in line with you. I don't want to betray your soul and your concept and your message. So please explain us. And I invented the answers <laughs> he would give us. <laughs> and this is how we had, <laughs> we had the map road suddenly because we, we said, this is what Mr. Blomba would have loved us to do. Yep. So we really connected with the man. Uh, I even had the picture of him because his brother was a painter. And I have, by chance, we could buy in an antique shop a painting of Mr. Blancpain, uh, uh, designed, made by Jules Blancpain, who was his brother, painter. Yep. Uh. Uh, and so I had that in my office, and every day I was looking at his picture and saying, Mr. Blancpain, Am I doing right? Are you are you pleased with me? <laughs> and he, he must have been looking down and saying, you're absolutely doing right, because in 1992, the business that you bought for 22,000, you sold for 60 million francs back to the company that sold it to you in the first place. <laughs> Somehow, yes. I regret, I have always regretted that we sold the company, but in, those, in, in the uh, end of 1989, I had a family problem. My 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 first wife left, and uh, I became depressed. Mm. And I, I I thought and I said it's because of my business that my family is ruined now that I am separated from my two kids, and I started to hate my job and I had lost yeah. a lot of um, uh, motivation. And finally, a friend of mine said, "Listen, if you go on like that." One day you're gonna ruin not only your couple, your your, uh, but also your business. Yep. And you should better sell it, or you should start to work again, solid work. And I was quite depressed. I, I, uh, I said, no, no, I prefer to sell. And yep. I sold. But you know what happened? The day I had sold, I realized that I had, I had lost my love, because uh, my wife left. And now I had lost my passion. Mm. So I said, God damn, no love, no passion. What, what, what is left? Money. But money <laughs> cannot help you. You know, yep. money cannot buy a passion. Yep. Money cannot buy love. And money cannot buy health. Yep. So uh, I said, I have to call the big boss of the group, Mr. Hayek. And I called him. And I, b- believe me or not, I was in holidays with my kids in Hawaii. And when I saw Hawaii, I said, what a poor guy I am. I am here alone with two kids in beautiful Hawaii, and I'm sad. Mm. So what's the money? Why should I have money? I called Mr. Hayek. I said, Mr. Hayek, I need a job. He said, excuse me? I said, I need a job. But you just sold the company three months ago. I said, listen, I sold it maybe not for the good reasons. I need a job. And you give me a job at at, uh, Blomp. And he said, yes and no. Yes, I can give you a job, but on the other hand, I don't want you just to work at Blancpain because you have been an entrepreneur at Blancpain and now you will become a manager and you will have a lot of frustrations. Mm. In order to help you uh, overcome your frustrations, I suggest that you also help me at Omega. I said, Omega, yes, you know, I want Omega to go up appeal to go more to become more prestigious more uh, exclusive higher quality etc uh, help me to lift the image of omega yeah and i thought wow that can be an interesting challenge why did i think it was an interesting challenge because blanpain is a little bit like i did later with hublo are my visions Yep. Blancpain was my vision as an ex-hippie how I would see a watch. And I just mm. made my vision. Mm. 
it's easy to design your own vision because it's in your head. Yep. With Omega, I had suddenly to think not like me, but like the Omega customer. And that's totally different because you cannot see products or marketing campaign with your own eyes. You must lend the eyes of the customer yep. and see it through the lenses of the customer, which is totally different. And I accepted the job. And like this, three months after having sold the company, I was again yep. <laughs> in, in, in Blancpain, but not only. I was also in Omega, and I was a member of the uh, director's committee, uh, the, the board of directors, and it was a new adventure that started. And it was an incredible time because I was able to uh, really restructure product and marketing of Omega. Uh, Today, many of the products that are on the, market, on the market at Omega are still from our time. Yep. And also the, the, uh, some uh, great marketing decisions like to take Cindy Crawford on board in 1995, uh, to be present in the new James Bond in yep. 1996. Uh, all these ideas, all these uh, events were done during my time with my people and myself. And I see them today still being valid, still uh, uh, bringing emotions, still helping Omega to sell and to be positioned. Um, so I have an incredible good uh, remember of this time. And these 10 years at Omega were for me part of the best period of my life. Yeah, and it's uh, wonderful. You got your passion back again. Yes. And um, thanks to uh, thanks to Nick, uh, Nick uh, Hayek and, and, and then did a wonderful job for uh, for Omega. But then uh, tell me, you, you met Carlo Crocco who had who had started a business and who needed help. Yes, and uh, but everything started with uh, my second wife, which I married. So I have been a happy man who loved two women. I always thought you can only live, uh, love one, but it happened to me to love two. Um, then I had a child. My wife, my second wife was 44 years old when I knew her, when I got married, or 45, and it was the last minute to have a child. Mm. We got the child. This child was born, Pierre is born in, in 2000, and I suddenly realized that I was over 50 already, mm. And when you are more than 50 years old, you then you normally don't get a baby. You get a grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to myself and to my wife, God damn, I must now behave like a father, not like a grandfather. Yep. And I bought a camping bus. And I said, here I want him to go as my first children. We yeah. go holiday in a camping bus. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a sailing boat. Uh, I, I bought a little chalet in the mountains. Yeah. Uh, and I said, finally, in 2003, I want him also to come to my office on Sunday morning because uh, at Blancpa, very often Sunday morning, I went quickly to work uh, three or four hours from six to ten or something like that when yep. the family was sleeping. I said, I want him again to live this as the first children. Yep. And I'm going to uh, uh, leave. And she said, what? Don't leave this big group. You have a fantastic position. You are 52 years old. Come on, don't leave now. I said, yes, for the baby, I need, I right. need to be a young young, dynamic, entrepreneurial father for him. And I, in the, uh, in the meantime, I had met Mr. Croco, which I had known in the 80s because he was our first uh, uh, agent for Hublot. Ah, right. He uh, for for Blancpain. He was very yep. successful in the 80s, yep. in Italy especially and in Spain. And he was the agent of Blancpain for Italy and for Spain. And later on, when he started to make mechanical uh, uh, movement, he bought from us uh, different movements. So I had a good relation with him yep. as a customer and as a, a supplier, as a, yeah, as a customer and a, an agent. Um, and so I met him. They were struggling. He was a little bit depressed. And uh, he said, why don't you come and help me? And I said, wow, that's the possibility to have a second birth, to, ha to have a second adventure like the one of Blanpa, starting by more or less scratch. And I saw a lot of potential in the concept of the Hublot, 
that he had developed in 1980, but it had clearly to, to be reconnected to to modernity. Uh, the, the 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 product, the marketing had to be rejuvenated. And I said, that's a great opportunity. Okay, I go there. Oh. I swear, I had big customers in Switzerland. Uh, who were buying for one million, two million Hublot, uh, Blancpain per year, they told me, are you crazy? Now you go, you have played in the Champions League yeah. and now how can you play in such a club fourth division? Yeah. I said, don't worry. Maybe <laughs> we are now in fourth division, but in three years we will play the Champions League again. Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> and I started with with Blancpain, uh, with Hublot, looked, and I yeah. had the enormous uh, luck that I could recruit my same people that helped me at Blancpain. All right. And so Ricardo Guadalupe, Valerie Servagent, they all come okay. from Blancpain. In the in in the meantime, they were in other brands, and I said, "Come on, guys, back again. We start again." <laughs> yeah. And what was the production of Hublot back then? When you By then, it was nine thousand watches. It was ninety percent quartz. Yeah. And it was average uh, price uh, in the retail business. It was thousand uh, five hundred Swiss francs. Yeah. Now the production is fifty thousand, and the average uh, price in the retail is uh, twenty two thousand five hundred. Yeah. Yeah. And we went from twenty six million turnover in two thousand four when I took over in sept in June two thousand four. Uh, and in 2018, we're going to reach 700 million. So yeah, we went amazing. from 26 to 700 in 14 years. We went from 2.6 losses in 2004 uh, to 130, 120, 140. The year is not yet finished, but probably 230 million uh, no, no, nothing. No bank relation. We are a company totally cash. The two factories are paid. Uh, the ninety shops in the world are paid. Uh, all the machines are paid. We are totally cash um, because <laughs> in two thousand four we could not have any credits, and we yep. said, okay, if we don't get credits, we're gonna work with uh, <laughs> cash. With with the cash, the little cash we have. I gave a loan of three million in the beginning, a personal one, but that has been paid back a long time ago. And we started uh, in the same way as I started Blancpain, again a second time, sleeping in the camping bus, you know. Yeah. And and uh, and uh, and today we still have this mentality of a startup. We have no big structure. We have no big hierarchy. It's a horizontal hierarchy. Yep. Um, most of the people are interchangeable. Most of the people can do two or three jobs, yep. uh, even in the production. Even in production, uh, we have always played uh, the the poly uh, poly polyvalence uh, that everybody can work on the other machine. So when somebody is sick, yep. immediately another guy can take over. And same uh, in, in marketing or sales or product. We have people from the product department. They can do sales. Uh, they can help in marketing. Uh, and this gives, of course, very much interest for the position because the position has so much variety. Uh, each job has uh, three or four variety, varieties, options. And that's how we are still today. And yep. that's beautiful that we could keep this mentality. Although uh, LVMH bought the company at, in 2008, yep. and LVMH was clever enough never to touch at our culture. And so the culture of Hublot is really special. It's, it's, a, it's a, a little bit a commune still. I mean, I come back to what I was in the <laughs> beginning. It is still disruptive. Uh, it is still highly creative and um, very innovative because we have invested heavily in the research and development, which is a big, big asset of, of Hublot today. Yeah, but, you know, in speaking as someone who deals with all of the major brands that are there, the, the, the culture, the attitude, the energy of Hublot really is unique and it's everything that you say and I think very, very reflective of uh, of you. Get great passion, great energy, great uh, great innovation. And and of course the uh, the first watch that you became involved in a year after joining was uh, was the Big Bang. 
That was that was incredible. You know, the 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 Big Bang was designed by uh, uh, thanks to Porsche. Why? Because in 2004, Mr. Hublot had still the same watch than in 1980 when they were created. And I said, and it is mono product. So Hublot had one watch, that's it, which is a strength, by the way. And I said, if I compare this to the car industry, there is one car, one brand, Porsche, they have one car. Okay, today they have more. They have Panamera, they have Cayenne, yep. but in 2004, they had only one. And I said, listen, Mr. Croco, if I take the Porsche 1980 and then I take the Porsche, I take a picture of the Porsche every year till 2004, you will see that the car has totally changed, mm. but it has not changed at all. The basic uh, shape is the same. The engine is still in the back. Uh, there are still only two doors. Uh, but it has had so many facelifts or adaptations to the trend that the car looks different. And the 1980 looked now like a classic car. And then, now let's take the pictures of the evolution of Hublot. Boom, 1980 and 2004, still the same. Mm. And I say, that's why it looks now old. If the Porsche would have not made these changes, everybody would say, well, what an old car. So we have to do the same evolutions as Porsche. And so we made a bigger watch, stronger watch, more macho watch, blah, 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 blah. And we came out with an incredible uh, product, uh, which really, it, it fascinated me. It looks extraordinary. And I said, this, we cannot fail. And then we needed a name because I want, I know that in the watch business, the name is important. You know, you take Rolex, Submariner, bam, Daytona, you know what it means. Yep. Uh, you take uh, Tag Heuer, Carrera, you know what it means. Uh, Ulma Piggy, Royal Oak, uh, Patek Philippe, Nautilus, and Hublot. Yeah, we have no name. Come on. <laughs> we must find a name. <laughs> well, but Hublot is enough. No, Hublot is not enough. It's like if you say Omega is enough, no, Speedmaster, then yep. you know which one. Omega is not enough. Yep. You need additional, uh, one more name. And I said, Big Bang. And everybody said, are you crazy? I said, no. <laughs> but where did you get it from? I, I, got it from <clears throat> I got it from the message of the brand. I said, we need a message. And the owner, Mr. Croco, said to me, but what do you mean? I said... <laughs> We need to know why we make watches. There must be a reason why we make a watch. I said, uh, listen, I made the watch because it looked like a porthole and it had a rubber strap. I said, okay, that's the definition of a, of a product. But why do you make watches? What is the reason behind? Uh, <laughs> what's your message? What do you bring to the people beside the watch? And he couldn't find. He said, but I, I have never looked at it. We just made the watches with that looked like a portal and that have a rubber strap. I said, okay, I will find a message. And I thought, and I had this luminous idea that rubber and gold, if you bring those two elements together, they normally in nature don't belong together. Gold is under the earth in South Africa and rubber is in Malaysia on the trees. So how can these two guys meet? They can never meet. But they met once in their life in the Big Bang because they, they, then everything was together. And the Big Bang happened and Gold said, bye-bye, I go under the earth to, uh, to South Africa. And Rubber said, okay, I will go on a tree. And so they separated. And what do we do now today in 2004? We bring those two elements back together. We create the fusion. We fuse gold and rubber. Check! <laughs> and, and how will I name this product? Uh, Big Bang. Because that was the moment where it was together. So rubber and gold have been together two times. 
one in the Big Bang, and number two, in our own Big Bang, in the Fusion 2004. And here we had the name. Yep, and here it appeared in the Basel World 2005. It's a great name for, for the product. I think it, and everybody remembers the name. Sure. And everybody, a Big Bang, you can translate. It can, it's, it's not never translated. In English, we say Big Bang. In French, we say Big Bang. In German, we say Big Bang. In, in, in uh, Chinese, we say Big Bang. Yep. It's one of these magic names like golf. Yeah. Golf has no translation. Everybody, football is not football can also be called soccer. Yeah. So uh, football, which is a great sport, by the way, but it has two names at least. Yeah. Uh, golf has only one. <laughs> yeah. Tennis has only one, and Big Bang has only one. Yeah, you go. And and what a, what a success it was at two thousand and five. You won lots of awards. You won a Grand Prix uh, uh, Design Award in Japan. It was the Watch of the Year. So it was an immediate huge success and really put Hublot. Uh, on the map and uh, when, I, when I think of Hublot I, I clearly think of the Big Bang um, I think of the materials that you use unique materials your uh, uh, magic gold the way you use uh, titanium uh, the way you use ceramic to get the unique colours and everything that's there and of, and of course rubber but I also think of the amazing marketing that you do and, and the way that it, it looks like you're doing so much but it's all carefully thought about at, uh, at Hublot uh, the ambassadors, the associations three World Cups uh, Ferrari, Premier League uh, La Liga, Bundesliga Chelsea, Jose Mourinho um, I, I've had the great pleasure of meeting some wonderful people thanks to thanks to Hublot just to uh, event drop for a minute I was at the World Cup as a, as a guest of uh, in Russia Hublot, yeah and uh, met Usain uh, Bolt met yeah. Michael Clark who's one of the nicest guys I've ever met travelled to the uh, travelled to the final with him uh, but the marketing that you have the spirit of marketing the entrepreneurial let's do it attitude is, is amazing at Hublot <laughs> yes it's it's a we are, we are extreme, you know, we always try to be first, different, unique. If you want to be first, different, unique, goddamn, you have to, <laughs> you have to work yep. and you have to invent and you have constantly to, to think what else, what else, what else. And I also believe, so I believe in first, different, unique, but I also believe in what the Tibet, they say in, in Tibet, once you have reached the top of the mountain, go on climbing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't think that when you believe you have reached the top it's not the top yep. the top is always somewhere else yeah um and so for those reasons we never stop we never stop and we have an incredible strong dynamic uh internally and then and then last but not least there's another reason we have been uh pushed or helped by fashion the fashion world has suddenly taken Hublot aboard. Mm. Uh, and, you know, fashion, they need merchandise every year. Uh, and I know once you, fashion takes you on board, one day they will also quit. And then you should not drop when they leave you. And how can I do, how can I make it possible not to drop, not to lose turnover when fashion quits? Only one way. I must create under fashion substance. Mm. And where does it come from? It comes from what we invent, from what we uh, produce, uh, from our creativity. And the more creativity you put under the fashion, when fashion goes away, you stay. Yep. You don't lose. And this is why we invest so much in R&D because we prepare ourselves to the day that might eventually not come when fashion says, bye-bye, Mr. Hublot, now we need another brand. Thanks God, since I'm on board of, of Hublot, uh, the, these 14 years, fashion has been nicer and nicer and nicer with us, but it, we have created substance, 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 no, substance. For, for sure, and, uh, and exclusivity and difference and the art of fusion, wonderful description. Of what yes. what you what you do with uh, uh, with product and some way like you say fusing fashion together with watch tradition, and it uh, it, it works really really well. Um, so then you know rolling forward 2014 you become part of the LVA, LVMH group and then you become chairman of of the whole uh, uh, watch division and you take over the the running of uh, of Tag Heuer. And um, a brand, again, with wonderful heritage is the Hauer brand. And again, when I think of Tag Heuer, I probably think more than anything chronograph and real uh, innovation in, uh, in, in chronograph. 
Um, I, again, in researching this, I read that um, back in 1924 that they were they were the timekeeper of the Olympics. Yes. Which I have this romantic thought of Eric Liddell and Harold yes. Abrams running the uh, uh, record setting and it actually being a, a tag chronograph that was uh, timing them in Paris. So an amazing brand. And of course, uh, when Jack Howard came along in 58, who I'm, I'm sure you've spent a lot of time with, and they, with Jack, yes, 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 yes. In order to explain me, to uh, you know, when you come to a new brand, you must first learn the brand. Yep. Because it's very important that you don't put your own signature on the brand. Because you are not here to put a signature on the brand. You are here to help the brand to, to progress. Yep. Uh, so you must be the servant of the brand. <laughs> and to serve the brand, you must know what the brand needs. And uh, 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 and the best way to know what the brand needs is to talk to people who have been in the brand long time before yourself. Yep. Uh, either you read it through the books or you have the chance that I had to have Mr. Jack Hoyer, who is now, I think, 80-something, uh, to help and to give me advice and to explain me the, the what his father did, what his grandfather did, what he did himself. And uh, Jack has become a kind of a precious consultant uh, and uh, uh, all the new ideas, really, even the products, I always show him and say, Jack, what, what do you what think? Do you think? Yep. Which is a lot easier than uh, Mr. Blancpain. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Mr. Least. Blancpain, I have to imagine Mr. Blancpain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but a uh, wonderful brand, uh, Hauer, and then it becomes Tag Hauer, and, yes. uh, uh, Technique Avant-Garde, and uh, 1985, and then 1999 becomes you know part of the LVMH group. Uh, the other things that you think about with uh, Tag Hauer, of course, you think of Steve McQueen and uh, and Monaco, and, and that really iconic photograph of him in the yes in the in the in the white suit. And um, I know Monaco this year. You did one with uh, George Bamford. Yes, yes, we have Bamford on board. Yep. Uh, I, 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 I have. I've been knowing uh, George Bamford for quite some time, and I said, "What a great, great guy!" Uh, and he is also a, a great designer. And I said, <laughs> "Let's let's have him on board, and let's use him a little bit like Mercedes has used AMG." Yep. Uh, and he can tune, he can make personalization on my brand. Yep. Uh, so I asked him, would you uh, uh, agree to be official tuner, tuner of Tag Heuer? So you get the rights to transform Tag Heuer watches according to your imagination. Always under our control, always with our own guarantee, the factory guarantee. And it was a very successful uh, collaboration up till today. One of our best sellers, or let's say one of the watches where we have the strongest demand, is um, uh, a Monaco, which he designed in carbon um, with a black and blue dial, which has an incredible success. It sold out immediately. And so uh, the collaboration with Bamford is good for him because it gives him a certain status. It gives him a legitimation. And it's good for us yep. because it gives us fresh ideas, fresh visions, which we not necessarily have all the time. Um, and it's a win-win situation. We have then extended this collaboration also to Zenit. And uh, so George is working now together with us officially on both brands, Zenit and, uh, and the Tag. And why not Hublot, one can say. But because Hublot is so creative... <laughs> that even George could not bring us much more than what we have. No, that's true. Uh, so, um, and 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 um, and um, uh, we hope that we can go on long, long time with uh, with this collaboration. That we can even reinforce it, because today there is also a feeling that I have that customers want more and more individualization. Yes. Uh, and customers get used to it very young when they buy their Nike shoes. They can choose the color. They can have B color or three colors. So they get used to, to, to make their own choice and to uh, put, uh, uh, put their own signature on, uh, on the product. And we should have the same in watches. In very expensive watches, I can understand that it's not possible. But uh, in the uh, every the, in the price range of Tag Heuer, it should be. And uh, I have asked George to help us 
with the configuration. You need a special uh, internet site for that. Uh, you need also somebody who can do it. And eventually we would ask to jo George to do that because if we do it in the factory, it will disturb the production process mm. <laughs> and the productivity. Because if suddenly, instead of producing a series of three or 5,000 pieces, you have to do a series of one or three or five, it will slow down the whole process. And usually, uh, uh, the production people, they hate to do that. This is why I think there's a great opportunity uh, for us to do it with George under our control, under our, our guarantees. Uh, we, we must, of course, get all the time the control of the product. And even the control of aesthetic, we must agree that this type of colors are matching, that they are not uh, destroying our our image or our brand. Yeah, yeah. But we did another podcast actually with uh, with George Bamford. Oh yes, and uh, and he, he talks very very favorably of uh, of, <laughs> of your relationship and of this uh, collaboration. And I, and I can confirm that we could have sold many many more of um, of the product yep. that he designed in that beautiful uh, black and powder blue that's synonymous with him actually. But, uh, but great. Um, and then the other brand, of course, and uh, uh, under your control was Zenith, which is which is a wonderful brand with a uh, great heritage, great reputation, and and movements and the El Primero, probably the best, one of the best chronograph movements, uh, movements ever. And, uh, yes, and 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 I'm very pleased with Z with the work we did with at Zenith, because we finally found a message for Zenith, and Zenith is now on track. Um, Zenit is very, very well on track, by the way, and is very successful. Um, at uh, brand level, uh, we are again in the profit zone, which was, uh, you know, it has not been quite often <laughs> the mm. case in the last 10 years. Um, but now we are back. We were in the profit zone uh, uh, during a certain moment with Jean-Fred Dufour, who is now the CEO of Rolex. Um, but uh, in between and before, uh, it, we were struggling. And now uh, we are back. We have a great CEO, Julien, uh, Julien Tornard, who does an incredible job, a guy that I love a lot. Um, and uh, he's totally, he works in our spirit. He could be at uh, Hublot tomorrow because he, he, you know, he's the type of guy uh, who works and works and no hierarchy. He travels like crazy. He's quite close to the customer. This is important. He doesn't stay at home. He doesn't stay uh, in Switzerland. He's all the time on the market. Yep. And that's the best. That's yeah, For me, it's the only way to run a, a consumer business is to be close to the consumer. Yeah. And not close to your Excel sheets and uh, all yeah. these uh, statistics, you know. Pff, you must be close to the market. Yeah, no, of course. And uh, Julian is a, a super guy. We very much enjoy dealing with him. And I think Zenith. Everybody in the industry has got a great, great deal of affection for uh, for Zenith, and uh, great to see it turning around and uh, and and having the success. I'm sure it's going to have great success in the future. Just moving on then, sort of beyond what you've done, other brands, other people that you admire in the in the Swatch industry. Yes, uh, uh, <clears throat> so I, I already mentioned Mr. Gole, the guy who helped me to enter the, this business with this one-year uh, half salary and yep. uh, gave uh, incredible opportunity. Then, of course, I have Jacques Piguet, the, the son of Frédéric Piguet, the yep. movement maker, who was instrumental for me. Yep. So Jacques Piguet, Mr. Gole, and then I sold to Mr. Hayek, and I had the chance to work 10 years with him on the restructuration of Omega, yep. so Mr. Hayek. Um, and in between, I had the first man who <laughs> employed me at Omega in 1979, Fritz Amann. And uh, in 79, I was, uh, uh, I was uh, 30, 40 years old, uh, 30 years old. Yep. 30 years old. And he gave me position, vice president, product and marketing yep. for gold watches. You were the youngest director. I was the youngest yeah. director, yep. exactly. And that is thanks to Fritz Amann, uh, and who was important for me because he trusted me and trusting me gave myself trust. I learned to trust myself because Fritz Amann trusted me. Yep. And that for all my lifetime, I will never forget. Because till I met Fritz, I had doubts about myself. 
I don't say that my doubts totally disappeared. I think the doubts are my friends because they help me not to become arrogant. They help me constantly to learn, to listen to others. But Fritz, he gave me the yeah, he gave me trust in myself, and that for that reason he is extraordinarily important. Uh, so we have uh, Jacques Piguet, Mr. Gole, Fritz Amann, Mr. Hayek. And uh, last but not least, I met Mr. Arno. Of course. And Arno, wow, what a, what a gentleman, what a, a genius entrepreneur with genius ideas. And uh, I, I'm, I was very, I am very close to Mr. Uh, uh, close to Mr. Arno, um, personally, not in business, but also a personal relationship. And I think uh, uh, Arno gave me an extraordinary uh, chance. Uh, when he bought Hublot, not to touch the culture of Hublot mm. and to trust me and to give me freedom, which means I, I, I have been uh, for 2000, uh, 10 years, 10 years together at LVMH, but I never had the impression I was at LVMH. I always had the impression I, I'm at Hublot, I'm at home. And that, in big group, to get the impression that you are at home, it's not an easy. <laughs> it's not an easy task uh, to to produce this illusion, uh, but I always thought I am at home. I always thought I am free. I always thought the decisions are mine. I, I always thought that the responsibility is also mine. Yep. Uh, and uh, I must say, to be able to transmit this to your uh, uh, management, that they get the feeling they are at home that they have the feeling they are alone and responsible, that they can be creative, they can be disruptive, they can be different. That I learned from Mr. Arnold, you know. It's, uh, so those are eventually, I would say, the five people that have helped me in my professional life. And the future, well, first of all, the future of a Swiss watch, is you get any view on where the industry is headed or where it should head? I think the future has never been as bright as today because uh, for, yes, it has never been as bright as today for a certain part of the Swiss watch industry, which is eventually the biggest part. It's the high-end. High-end, why? High-end is linked today with what I call eternity. And the more we enter the world of technology, the more we will feel what means obsolescence. Um, I don't know how many phones I already bought, but probably it's the, it's the fifth or the seventh phone I have bought since my first Nokia. Mm. And what, what have I done with the others? I don't know. I gave them to Africa or I gave them to, you know, but I, somehow you learn that nothing that you own will last. Mm. Um, and then the more you are surrounded with products where you know they will not stay long with me, you will need to, to, to connect to something that will last. Um, and what is it? <laughs> there are not many elements. Okay, art will always last. The art of Mozart, he still plays piano every night or every day <laughs> for millions of people. The Beatles are still singing for millions of people. Picasso is still painting for millions of people. So art is eternal. Um, love, of course, is eternal. But what else? <laughs> not many things. Yep. Maybe classic cars. I, I drove a Rolls-Royce from 1911. 1911. We were uh, between Cannes and Nice, and we were driving on the motorway at 100 kilometers per hour. I said, God damn, this is yep. incredible. This, so there are not many things. And one is the watch. Big Ben is still working, and it's mechanical. Yep. Uh, and and um, Bezos, the boss, the owner of Amazon, and the king of the cloud and king of internet, he is investing half a billion in the Texas to build an eternal clock yeah. that will work for 10,000 years. So when the boss of the cloud <laughs> is investing in a watch, 
that has to work 10,000 years, which means for him eternity, that tells you something. So I believe the old gam, the upper segment of the Swiss watch industry, has an enormous future because people will want to connect to something that is eternal. For the cheap watches, I mean cheap, for yeah, for the price for watches that retail the same price as an Apple connected watch, there I believe it will be difficult. Yeah. So we will see a segmentation. The the upper segment, which is by the way, anyhow, 80% of the Swiss exports, for those brands I see a lot of future. For the ones that are in the price segment of Apple, that can be more more risky. So that is my the, this is my vision for the Swiss watch industry. A um, lot of lot a lot of future for our traditional uh, watch brands. Uh, my future, I I step down from operational uh, um, um, responsibilities on the end of the year, and. Um, it was a thinking of different uh, reasons. It's like an accident. <laughs> there are always a few reasons why you have an accident. Um, same for success. There are always different reasons. And for me, I was influenced by my health. I always had the best health possible. I mean, my health was never a problem. I thought God has given me forever my health. Mm which is only a thinking you can have during a certain period of your life. <laughs> if you believe this too long, yeah. <laughs> you will be punished. Yeah. And I believed it till I was 70. And suddenly, boom, my body said, stop. Yeah. Mr. Beaver, I need now some rest. I need some care. I'm not your slave. It's finished. You have to respect me. Wow, what a message. And this message got me, boom, directly in the face. And I was not really prepared to it, um, but but you know the the, the body didn't give up <laughs> for once. Normally my body gives up when I tell him, "Come on, you stop being stupid, go to work again." Yep. And this time he said, "No, I don't go to work again. I don't go. Yep. You must change your attitude." And then as long as you don't change your attitude, I will not move. Wow! <laughs> and suddenly I had an enemy in myself. You know, yep. I had a competitor. And, the, and uh, that helped me, and then I was sick, then I had three operations, blah, blah, blah. And one day the doctor said to me, you must now finally understand the language of your body. Your body is talking to you. Yep. He cannot use the same language as you, but he, what he's doing now, he tells you that you have to slow down. Wow, so that was one reason. Second reason, <laughs> which is a little bit similar, I realized that I, I have entered the 70th year of my life and eventually I will have another 10 brilliant years. But certainly not 20. Maybe I will only die when I'm 90, but maybe the last three, four years will not be the same as now. So I said to my wife, I have not seen the world. I have never been in the desert. I've never been on, on, a, on a safari. I've never been to St. Petersburg. There are so many things I would like to see. Yep. I better slow down and I take some time for me. And all these reasons brought me to ask finally in May uh, to Mr. Arno if I could uh, retire. And uh, while retiring from the operational, I could spend some time also for transmission teach people if they want to be taught, give conferences to the universities. Yep. Uh, and so uh, that's, my, that's my, new, my new future. But in a certain way, I think I will still rock the industry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I'm a rocker. And when, <laughs> when, when, you, are rock, <laughs> when, you, when you are a rocker, you, you cannot stop rocking... <laughs> Yep. They send your soul. Uh, well, yep. I, I, go, I, I, somehow I will find a way to still uh, rock the industry and still play a certain role in the industry. But my major role, after having also restructured five brands, what else do you want? You know, I, I have enough. I have proven to me that uh, that I know what that I have been successful. My ego is satisfied. So I think it's it's a good opportunity to slow down. Well, you know, uh, 
John Claude, I think on behalf of everybody that's that's known you over the years and care about you, delighted to hear that you're going to take care of yourself, you're going to take some time for yourself and wife and family and, and uh, see the world. Delighted that you are going to keep rocking one way or another. I, I, I don't have any doubt that uh, uh, that you will. Um, I'm, a, I'm a relative novice in the industry. I've only been here five years and I, I can tell you that whenever there was an opportunity to listen to you, um, uh, speak or, or meet with you, I would always rearrange and make sure I was there because you were always, as you've been today, you know, always very, very inspirational and new ideas and an unbelievable uh, energy uh, that I always took so much positivity from. So I was um, privileged to be able to listen to you often. And uh, and the thing that uh, always really struck me, although you were such a high and are such a high and important person in this industry, you always had time you always had humility. You always uh, engaged personally, and that's uh, that's a very magical and important mix. And a great example is you coming and spending time with us uh, today in your busy schedule. So thank you very, very much for everything that you've done. Thank you for uh, uh, for today and for uh, sharing your wonderful thoughts with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for you, Brian, to have me uh, in the interview. Thank you for your nice words that you are telling me. And when I listened to what you just said, I said, wow my 45 years in this business just to listen for one and a half minute what you just said they were worth uh, working hard to get such a compliment after 45 years thank you very much my pleasure thank you thank you thanks to Mr. Jean-Claude Beaver for taking the time for talking to us at Watches of Switzerland and thank you for listening as always do subscribe and review on Apple Podcast Don't forget, we're now on Spotify, as well as all the usual places you can listen to your podcasts.